Welcome to A.T. Stewart and Sons Ministries. I'm your host, A.T. Stewart. I'm glad you've chosen to join us today as we look into the Word of God. So take your Bibles and let's hang out in God's Word for a few moments and see what God would say to us today. Welcome to our study tonight. Take your Bibles and turn over to the book of Revelation, chapter 12. Revelation, chapter 12. You will remember from our previous study of end times that Revelation 12 has to do with the wars of the ages. One of the keys to understanding what will be happening and what does happen in our lives is to understand the truth of spiritual warfare and that you and I are in spiritual warfare. I looked at the six major battles in this chapter, beginning with Satan's rebellion in heaven, ending with Jesus coming back and defeating the Antichrist and his followers and casting Satan into the lake of fire. Now, between the two events, this warfare is raging, I think, with increasing intensity. I think that as we approach the return of Christ, we're seeing an increase in the intensity of the spiritual warfare. Now, make no mistake, you cannot see this warfare, but it is nonetheless real, dangerous, and has eternal consequences. I believe that you and I are seeing today is is just such an increase in Satan's attacks on God's people As you see, even in our own nation, more and more of the laws that are being passed are anti-Christian, seeking to, again, uh, make us confine our expressions of Christianity to the church, Uh, trying to bind us and keep us from freely expressing our Christian faith in the workplace, in the school. Uh, in any public place, be it the city square. Uh, you know, they yell, well, we, we believe in freedom of religion, but what they're saying is we believe you can have the right to worship inside your church like you want to or inside your house like you want to, uh, but don't push it outside the confines of your house uh, or of your local church. And so we're seeing this continue to increase. I believe that Satan has so dedicated himself to the destruction of Christians and God's kingdom that he has at least one of his demons assigned to you with the purpose of destroying you and your family. We have guardian angels. I don't think it's a stretch to think that there's at least one, maybe more. Now, there are three purposes that Satan has and wants to accomplish in your life through the spiritual battles and warfare. First, he wants your effectiveness to God to become useless. He wants to destroy your effectiveness in God's kingdom service. 
if he can destroy your marriage, if he can bring you or tempt you into a sinful lifestyle, he can destroy your effectiveness in God's kingdom. So that's one thing he wants to do. He can't keep you from getting saved. God sovereignly brings about these matters. But he will desire to make you as ineffective as possible in God's kingdom work. Secondly, he wants to take all the joy out of your salvation. He wants you to be a miserable Christian. He wants you to be a a Christian who is a sour-faced, irritable, cantankerous. He wants you to dread coming to church. He wants to take the joy out of your Bible study, out of your personal worship time. He wants you to be miserable. And then thirdly, He wants to make you, make you a detriment to God's kingdom. He wants you to be one whose life is such that people look at you and think, that's, if that's what it means to be a Christian, buddy, they're just a big hypocrite. I don't want anything to do with it. He wants you to be a negative witness. Jesus said you shall be witnesses, and we are going to be witnesses. The only question is, are you going to be a good witness? Or are you going to be a detrimental witness to the kingdom? And so he desires for you to be a detrimental witness to the kingdom of God. Now God, I think, wants to accomplish at least two things through this time together tonight. First, he wants to acquaint you with one of Satan's main tactics to bring about these desires he has, to make you ineffective, to take the joy out of your salvation and make you a detriment to God's kingdom. But he wants you to do more than just see one of Satan's main tactics. He wants you to see what provision he has made, God has made, for you to have continual, consistent victory. We're in a warfare. There are demons dedicated to your destruction and your spiritual detriment. But let me tell you, we are victors. And God has done everything necessary for you and I to walk in continual victory. So much so, I believe I can tell you, without fear of contradiction, if you're being defeated by the devil, it's because you've chosen to be. The devil can do no more in your life than you allow him to do. He is a defeated foe. He's a toothless tiger. But if you allow Him to have sway and control in your life, then He has it. But if you'll follow God's way of victory, you will be the one on the victorious side. Now let's move to one of Satan's main tactics to attack you as a Christian is that steady, persistent, wearing down of the saints. Nothing flamboyant. It's slow, gradual, wearing down of Christians. Satan's plan is to wear us out in a steady, persistent 
manner. In Revelation 12, we're going to be looking beginning in verse 10. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of His Christ has come. For the accuser of our brethren has been thrown down. He who accuses them before our God day and night. And they overcame Him because of the blood of the Lamb, because of the word of their testimony. And they did not love their life even when faced with death. For this reason, rejoice, O heavens, you who dwell in them. Woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has come down to you, having great wrath, knowing that he has only a short time. And verse 10, Satan is spoken of as he who accuses them before God day and night. Satan not only accuses you before God day and night, he accuses you before yourself day and night. Over in Daniel chapter 7, we see a passage that has to do with these end times when Christ is about to return and the Antichrist has risen to power. And I want you to see what it says in chapter 7, verse 25. Remember, Satan, I mean, excuse me, the Antichrist will be empowered, and I believe perhaps even indwelt by Satan. He will speak out against the Most High, speaking of the Antichrist, empowered, maybe even inhabited by Satan, and wear down the saints of the Highest One. Wear down the saints of the highest one. You see, if Satan hit us outright, we'd clearly recognize him and we would resist him. So, this wearing down approach is so slow, so subtle, so gradual, it's almost imperceptible. A little today, a little more tomorrow... And the result shows a slowly wearing down. Have you ever seen a praying mantis catch a fly? I went on the internet last night and uh, you can find anything and found a couple of YouTubes, uh, a video of a praying mantis catching a fly. Now, you know flies are hard to catch. You've tried to Swat them yourself, and, and they get away. But that praying mantis gets that fly. And you've seen a praying mantis, haven't you? Would you call them fast creatures? But they usually are just like that, real still. See? And he moves ever so slowly toward that fly. The fly doesn't even know that praying mantis is coming. Finally, when that praying mantis gets close enough, he grabs the fly. I saw it. I saw it in my own two eyes. If he just come right at that fly, that fly would be gone. That's trouble. You and I come right at it. And he seizes and he flies off. But that's the way Satan does. He comes at us ever so slowly. Imperceptible, but deadly. 
wearing and wearing us down until nothing is left. When Satan wanted to attack Paul in the city of Philippi, he didn't come at Paul as a demon outright, did he? You remember? He came as that certain slave girl who had a spirit of fortune teller. Now look over in Acts 16. Acts 16. I think it's a rather revealing passage. In Acts 16, beginning in verse 16, And it happened that as we were going to the place of prayer, a slave girl having a spirit of divination met us who was bringing her masters much profit by fortune-telling. Following after Paul and us, she kept crying out, saying, These men are bondservants of the Most High God, who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation. She continued doing this for many days. But Paul was greatly annoyed. And he turned and he said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very moment. My question is, why did Paul wait so long to get rid of this annoyance? Why didn't he just immediately, on the first time she opened her mouth, cast that spirit out in the name of Jesus? Now, the best thing I can come up with is that Paul must not have realized at the beginning that this was an assault of Satan because it was not a frontal assault. I mean, you might even think, well, hey, you know, they were telling, she was telling folks, listen to these guys. They are servants of the Most High God. They're proclaiming the way of salvation. You might say, well, I mean, I'd like somebody proclaiming ahead of me, Right? like John the Baptist. But for whatever reason, Paul did not immediately address this attack. But after many days, when he was finally annoyed, greatly annoyed, he must have realized, oh, this is of the enemy. He is seeking to wear us down. It's that constant, crying and carrying on, distracting the people around them, no doubt. So that's Satan's way. To wear down slowly, gradually, persistently, until the spiritual life is down to almost nothing. Now, I bet there are some people listening to my voice, maybe over the internet, maybe by CD, maybe even here, who've been worn down by the enemy of their souls. Your spiritual life has just been worn down to almost nothing. You see, first Satan will try to wear out your body. See, he knows how our physical body, how closely it is related to our spiritual body. We talk about your spiritual body and your physical body like they're two separate entities, but the truth is they're connected. 
You notice when you feel bad, you don't want to pray. You don't feel like reading the Bible. When you are physically sick, it is difficult to be spiritually up. If Satan can get us down physically and emotionally, he can work on us spiritually. When is it that you get the most down, the most discouraged, the most depressed? It's when you're physically exhausted, tired, sick. You ever thought, man, I just don't feel like going to church today. I just don't feel like praying today. Every other day of the week, you can get up at the crack of dawn. But come Sunday, you have to fight six demons to get out of bed, don't you, Mark? Amen. Maybe the one day you can sleep, Saturday you wake up, ready to go. Now, you can't convince me that's not some spiritual warfare going on there. Look at Job. When he wanted to attack, excuse me, when Satan wanted to attack Job in Job chapter 2. Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and smote Job with sore boils from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. God told him he couldn't take his life. First told him he couldn't touch his body. Then after he'd taken everything away from him, God allowed him to touch his body. And what did he do? Give him boils. You ever had a boil? Man, some people call them risings, don't they? But they hurt. You ever tried to sit down if you had one somewhere? It is tough. Here he had them all over his body, making him miserable. Because Satan knew if he could wear Job down physically, it would work on him spiritually as well. Look at Paul. He had a thorn in the flesh. He called it a messenger of Satan. And he even asked God to deliver him from it. But God told him his grace was sufficient. So we allow our moods to affect us so much, don't we? So maybe Satan makes us a little tired today, a little more tired tomorrow. And then we just get so, you know, I just I'm so too sleepy to pray. I go to sleep when I try to pray because I'm just so worn out, so tired. You know, I'd like to study my Bible tonight, but, I, you know, I just can't stay awake. I'd like to get up early and study, but I just can't get up. I'm too tired. Now, not every illness is a result of Satan's attacks. I know that. But let me tell you, some of them are. I want you to know, he's seeking to wear you out physically. He wants to get you exhausted. He wants to get you down. He wants to get you worn out. And we give in to it when we stay up late. Can't turn that TV off. And we know we ought to go to bed, but we're looking. And then we wonder why we're worn out the next day. When we are off, we don't rest. You know, I'm convinced God built... A, a cycle within the human body. I had an Old Testament professor at seminary who believed this as well. He said that Sunday afternoon naps built into creation. And I believe it. You can prove it by my life. And I've heard people who don't take a nap any other day of the week, and I don't. But when Sunday comes, buddy, if they don't get that nap, their whole week is off kilter. Maybe some of you are like that. Because I think God has made us. We need that rest one in seven. And yet, 
You don't take time to rest. You're falling into Satan's way. Not only does he seek to wear us out physically, he seeks to wear us out your heart. You know, when you're first saved, you felt happy, you felt joyful, you felt peaceful. Life was great. But then in time, you became restless, somewhat unhappy. The next day, depressed, little by little, the peace, the joy was gone. It was lost. Remember what Jesus told the church at Ephesus? You've left your first love. Gradual. Not overnight. But gradually. Shifting that love away from Jesus. By getting tangled up in other things. Satan wears you down to fatigue and despair and discouragement. You remember David? And you remember what David ended up getting in trouble with Bathsheba? And you know why he ended up getting in trouble? What was he not doing he should have been doing? Remember? Should have been on the battlefield. Said in the Scriptures, in the days, in the time of year when the kings go out to battle, David, for some reason, tired, perhaps, discouraged, perhaps, down, depressed. I just don't feel like going, guys. Y'all going out there. I'm staying back. And that was the beginning of his ruination. Satan is seeking to wear out your heart. He also wants to wear you down spiritually. He begins by working on your prayer life. Pray a little less today, a little less tomorrow. Then you go a day or two without praying. And then the only thing you're doing is saying a blessing at the meal. And maybe a quick, good night, Lord. And that's it. You know what happens, don't you? Same thing about your Bible study. A little less one day, a little less the next day, a little less, a little less. Every other day, every two or three days, once a week, slowly, gradually, imperceptibly. How about church attendance? Man, it always starts with that first Sunday missing. Now, most everyone here can testify to that one. It's so much easier to miss the second week. Than it was the first. And the third week, it is really easy. And the fourth week, it's so easy, it's hard to go back. Well, then the fifth week, I'm embarrassed now to go back. <laughs> Isn't that something? Satan causes you to backslide a little at a time, slowly, gradually, steadily, wearing you down. And then one day you look up and think, how could I have drifted so far away from the Lord? I used to be so close. And it was a gradual thing. So he seeks to wear down your spiritual life. He wants to wear down your time. Wear it out until you just don't seem to have any time left for God. And the number one culprit is corporate America. 
They will take every moment of your time if you'll let them. They will demand it. I've seen this encroachment in my 30-something years of ministry. I've seen steadily the encroachment of corporate America on the lives of individuals so that it just robs them of their energies, their time, and they just don't seem to have any time left for God. Things just keep coming up. Things that need to be done. Can't get enough time to be with God. You remember Paul when he was in prison in Caesarea? This guy that kept, for two years, kept telling Paul, come talk to me, come talk to me, come talk to me. Felix. Felix never, ever accepted the truth of the gospel. He just kept wanting Paul to come, 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 come. Wearing him down. Satan is seeking to wear out your time. Get you so busy you don't have any time for serving God. I'm not saying there aren't good things. And he seeks to wear down your consecration. God calls us to be separate from the world. To be consecrated, to be set apart. You remember Samson? You know he was a Nazarite. You remember the Nazarite vow? Couldn't cut their hair, couldn't drink wine. And Samson was set apart from birth unto God as a Nazarite. And God gave him supernatural power. And his power, in a measure, rests in that consecration, which in particular was he could not cut his hair. You remember that? But what happened when Delilah came into the picture? Right? Judges tells us in Judges 16. Now you tell me if you don't see the wearing down hand of Satan in Delilah. I mean, Satan, uh, Samson was not a big, strong muscular guy. He was just an ordinary looking small fry. I'm convinced. Because they wouldn't ask what made him strong if he was a big old strapping Arnold Schwarzenegger, right? I mean, they wouldn't have to say what makes you so strong. It'd be obvious. But now if he was Paul's size and he was picking up city gates and throwing them away, then you'd look at Paul and say, Paul, how are you so strong? I mean, I can't understand that. What makes you so strong, Paul? Because there'd be no physical. It was the spiritual strength. It was the Holy Spirit that gave him that extraordinary physical strength. It was not in his own muscles. And that's why these, his enemies wanted to know. And that's why Delilah kept pressing him. Well, you know, he didn't tell her. He kept telling her one thing and then... He'd go to sleep and she'd try that and that wouldn't work. I mean, he was really not using good sense here at all. He should have known what she was trying to do. But now look, it came about when she pressed him daily. Where now? Man, you know what it is to be pressed daily, don't you? Proverbs talks about the steady dripping of the rain. She was dripping. Pressed him daily with her words and urged him that his soul 
was annoyed to death. He finally just said, I can't live like this anymore. And he told her. A razor has never come on my head, for I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If I am shaved, then my strength will leave me, and I will become weak like any other man. Wearing down his consecration. Satan is seeking to destroy our consecration, our practical holiness. He wants you to look at things that will destroy your practical holiness. He wants you to read things that will destroy your practical holiness. He wants to bring you in contact with people who will steadily and persistently work against your practical holiness. That's his tactic. Wearing you down. Wearing you out. Slowly. Persistently. Steadily. But we are overcomers. That's the good news. We are not helpless to Satan's tactics. And since we are caught up in this spiritual warfare, we are not doomed because Satan is a defeated foe. We are overcomers. Romans 8, 37, Paul says we are overwhelmingly conquerors through Jesus. And that word overwhelmingly conquers means super conquerors. Now, you know the difference between a conqueror and a super conqueror? A conqueror defeats the enemy. A super conqueror not only defeats the enemy, but the enemy serves for his good. So what God's telling us is, not only can we overcome Satan, but God will use these attacks of Satan to actually bring us into deeper levels of spiritual strength and maturity in Christ's likeness. Super conquerors. Now there are three things I want you to understand. First, you need to understand Satan is a defeated foe. One of my favorite verses on this is Hebrews chapter 2. Verse 14, Hebrews 2.14. If you didn't know any other verse about Satan, this would be enough. Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, that's us, humans, he himself, Jesus, likewise also partook of the same, meaning he took on flesh and blood. He became a man. He took on humanity. Why? That through death, through His death on the cross and His resurrection, He might render powerless Him who had the power of death, that is the devil. And might free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. You see that word powerless? That word means without power. It means in Operative. Futile. Satan has absolutely no power in your life that you don't let him have. He is totally inoperable. The Bible says in 1 John 3, 8, Jesus came that he might destroy the works of the devil. Dissolve it. Loosen it. 
it would be like you getting a letter from the Kremlin telling you you owe $5,000 in income tax in Russia. If you got that letter, you would look at it and you would think, no, they don't have any authority over me. I don't owe them anything. And you'd probably throw it in the trash. But if you didn't really think they didn't have control over you, and you'd read that letter, you might say, oh my goodness, i got to send them $5,000. Are they going to come get me? So they can only have authority in your life if you gave it to them by believing their deception, by believing their lies. Satan's the same way. He will lie to you. He will tell you he's got authority in your life. He will tell you you can't quit sinning. He'll tell you you can't do this, but it's a lie. And it can only have a power in your life if you believe his lie. Just like that letter from the Kremlin could have no more power in your life than you gave it. If Uncle Sam wrote you the letter, you better listen. Whether you give it to him or not, he's got it. Amen. All right, so understand he's defeated. Second, realize your position over Satan. Now over in Ephesians, Paul tells us in Ephesians where Christ is seated at the present time. That's over in Ephesians chapter 2, excuse me, Ephesians 1, 19 through 22. Okay? And look at what he says about Christ. He says, And what is the surpassing greatness of His power toward us who believe? These are in accordance with the working of the strength of His might, which He brought about in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places. Now, where is Jesus? He's at the right hand of God the Father in heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. And every name, every person that is named. Not only in this age, but also in the age to come. Paul says Jesus is seated at the throne of God, and He in that position is above every power that there is, be it spiritual power, be it demonic power, be it earthly power. He is far above all these rules and authorities. Okay? Not only in this age, but the age to come. That's where Jesus is. That is His position. By virtue of His perfect life, His death, His resurrection, and ascension into heaven. Now look in chapter 2 verse 5 and 6, and I want you to show you where you are as a Christian. Chapter 2, 5 and 6. And we'll begin with 4. But God, being rich in mercy because of His great love with which He loved us, when even we were dead in our transgressions, He made us alive together with Christ, for by grace you've been saved. Now look what else He did. And raised us up with Him. And seated, past tense, not will seat us, but seated us 
with him in heavenly places in Christ. Now, where's Jesus? Far above all rulers and powers and authorities. Now, when we're sitting with Jesus, what does that make us? Far above all rulers and powers and authorities. You just need to remind the devil of that when he tries to attack you and tell you you've got to do what he says. You and I have power over Satan not because of who we are, but because of who Jesus is and because of where we are positioned in Christ. That's why when you rebuke and resist the enemy, you do so in the name of Jesus. Not in your own name, but in the person of Jesus. But you need to realize that you are seated with Him. Far above the enemy. He has absolutely no authority over you. It's the opposite. You have authority over Him. Because of your position in Christ. So first understand he's a defeated foe. Secondly, realize your position over him. And then thirdly, utilize your authority over Satan. You see, position leads to authority. Okay? A policeman who is outside of his jurisdiction doesn't have any more authority than me and you. Right? But when he is positioned within his jurisdiction, then he has authority to arrest us, to give us a ticket, to put us in jail. But his authority comes by virtue of his position. Take Barack Obama on January the 19th, before he was inaugurated, he was just an ordinary citizen like me and you. He had no more authority than we had. But when he took the position and the oath of office on December the tw- excuse me, January the 20th, and he became president of the United States, suddenly he took on a great deal of authority. But he hadn't changed. He's the same man. He hadn't gotten any smarter. He hadn't gotten any stronger. Only thing changed was his position. Right? So your position in Christ is what gives you that authority over the enemy. Look at what Jesus said over in Luke chapter 10. Jesus' disciples came back. The 70 came back. And they were rejoicing. And they said in verse 17 and following, The 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. By virtue of who you are, Jesus. In your person. And he said to them, I was watching Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing will injure you. Jesus gave them that authority. In the Great Commission, Jesus says, All authority is given unto me in heaven and earth. Right? Now, you go in my authority and make disciples of all nations. 
We go in His authority. Because of our position in Him, we have all the authority we need to continually defeat the enemy. Over in Ephesians 6, in the passage about spiritual warfare and our spiritual armor, Paul gives us a very important insight in verse 10 when he says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. In the strength of the Lord. You and I need to be living under the Lordship of Christ. You cannot live like the devil and utilize authority to overwhelm him. Right? And the power of the Lord. You can't live like the devil and then expect him to flee. Be like a policeman in his uniform, in a park, smoking marijuana and telling some other kids, hey, you can't smoke marijuana and he'll leave. His authority is undermined by his behavior. They'd probably laugh at him, wouldn't they? And you would too. So you and I need to be living under the Lordship of Christ. But we must utilize that authority over Satan just as Paul did when he turned to that spirit and that girl and said, In the name of Jesus, I command you, come out of her. And we'll spend a few more weeks on being an overcomer. We're going to look at what it means. They said they overcame him by the word of their testimony. Now what does that mean? They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb. How do we overcome by the blood of Christ? And then the third week, it says, and they overcame him because they did not love their life, even when faced with death. And we're going to talk about what that means. But for now, you concentrate on your position in Christ and how the enemy wants to wear you down consistently, steadily. And you need to ask yourself, is he wearing me down in any of these areas? And then you need to take your position in Christ and claim Jesus' victory over Satan. Okay? That brings us to our conclusion tonight.